Um, let's see, what do I want to do? It's been so long, I forgot what I normally do. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray first for the preaching of his word, and then I'll, I'll read the text. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this text in Nehemiah, which I, I hope and I, I, I trust, Lord, that will change lives. I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and soften our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would use a two-edged sword to cut away the bad parts in our hearts, Father God, and replace it with good, loving hearts, Father. Through this text, as we, as we see how the people in, in Nehemiah were attempting to, to do good, how that can translate to how we live our lives now in this world of ours, Father. So help us, Lord, help us to hear, help us, help our hearts to accept your word, Father God, and, and, and let it cause change. Let it cause change, Father. For these things I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it's a long text. So bear with me. In fact, I've got several texts this morning that are just like the whole chapter because it really it really says a lot about what I'm trying to convey here. So there will be times where I'll be doing lots of reading from God's Word, but it's good stuff. It's good. God's Word is good. So I hope you bear with me. So Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, and then all of chapter 10. God's word says this. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Chapter 10, verse 1. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah, the governor. Now there's a lot of, a lot of names here in the next several verses, and I'm not going to read the, the names. There's no sense in you hearing me you know, mess up these names. It's just, not, it's just not helpful, really, it isn't. But what I will say is that what we see in this list of names is the governor, Nehemiah. We see uh, priests uh, listed are the Levites, uh, chiefs of the people, and then we come down to verse 28, which I'll, which I'll pick up again. Verse 28 says, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land of the, of the law, their, uh, the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse 
and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our, God, our Lord and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our fathers' houses, at times appointed, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord of our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law. And the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not Neglect the house of our God. It says a lot. Because of God's blessing in their life, the people in Nehemiah wanted to make a covenant with their God to show him their love and gratitude for how he has blessed them. They didn't want to stray, and so they made a firm covenant in writing and signed their names to it. They wanted to make this public knowledge. They wanted everyone to know who it was that was signing on to this covenant, this promise that they were making to God. However, the people, although promising to fulfill their duties to the covenant, could not and would ultimately fail. 
This is a foreshadow of what is to come later in Nehemiah. And Mark made me promise not to say any more than just that. Because he's going to be teaching in, in another, and then a couple of chapters later on about how they failed. <laughs> he said, now don't, don't give away my sermon. So I had to promise. Yeah, he's going to... You know. <laughs> so you might say, well, why are we studying this? Why are we studying this if it just leads to failure? How come it's in the Bible? Well, if we didn't study how not to do it, we would continue to do things without improvements or change. So it's necessary. It's necessary to understand what worked and what didn't work so that we can learn from that as well and apply it to our, our daily lives, right? This is like all things we try and accomplish on our own merits for God or to our Creator. We ultimately fail. We cannot perfectly fulfill the duties to anything, much less to a covenant. Not just because we aren't perfect, which we certainly aren't, uh, but because of indwelling sin in our hearts. You see, a promise or a covenant to God has to be without blemish. Without sin. Otherwise, it's not presented holy as he is holy. So therefore, it is rejected. So we study how it was done poorly, and we try to think, well, how can we do it better? How can we improve? What do we need to change? We need something better, something more secure, something that would not fail or be marred with sin. And hopefully, through other texts in our Bible, we can find a better way. I will cover two main points in my sermon this morning, which I will present when I come to them. So first, let's, let's start with seeing what the people in Nehemiah did. <clears throat> Point number one, <clears throat> excuse me, the terms of the covenant. It's point number one, the terms of the covenant. And this goes from verse 30 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 39. Now, in ancient times, a covenant was literally cut. We are going to cut a covenant, is what they would say. Almost always, an animal was sacrificed as part of the signing of the covenant. It always cost something. For the people in Nehemiah, it was sacrifices that they would make to their daily lives to remain in God's graces. The people entered a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. Now the curse was, look, we're going to follow this law. We're going to follow your law. We're going to do the things that, that you ask us to do. And if we fail, if we don't do it, then we want a curse on us. They're saying, we, we want, we want to be, we're serious about this. And so we're giving us, ourselves up to a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. It was done publicly by signing their names to this covenant. 
Now, besides the law, which was given to them through Moses, here are three main conditions or aspects of the covenant they promised and signed their names to follow. These, not, these aren't, these aren't a, in addition to the law. These are aspects of the law that they really, really failed to follow the last time. And so, they, they're, so they're saying, okay, we're going to follow the law. We're going to follow all of the law. But we also want you to be aware of, and we're signing our name to this, this covenant. We're signing our name. We're, we're, we're saying there's a curse on us and there's an oath to walk in God's law. Plus, we want to identify these areas that we really failed on last time. And so we want to expressly say we're going to do this right. Okay? So there are three things that I'm going to cover. The first one is faithful to God when it comes to their romantic relationships. In other words, their marriages. Faithful to God when it comes to their romantic relationships. They said they would not give their daughters to the people of the land. In other words, to foreigners. Remember, at that time, only Jews believed in God. And so everyone else who was not a Jew were considered foreigners. These were the people of the land at that area at that time, right? So they said, we're not going to give our daughters to the people of the land. They also would not take foreigners' daughters for their sons. Now, this, was, this had become a big problem in the past. And it is a problem that exists even today. Now, I'm not talking about foreigners like, you know, uh, people outside of this country or maybe of a, of a different uh, race or ethnicity. 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 <laughs> no, I'm talking about marrying someone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ and the salvation that only comes through him. See, when we marry somebody who is not yoked with, with us, if we are a believer and we marry someone who is a non-believer, problems arise. It's difficult. They may want to do things that are not in line with what God's Word says. And when there's conflict like that, the marriage becomes difficult and hard. things become hard to live with. Right? So it's, it's not wise to get into a relationship with someone who is an, an unbeliever. Now this next section, I need to credit EnduringWord.com. It's, it's text that I took out of, of a commentary that they had on Nehemiah 10. And it says this, Many of us have remarkable stories of how we came together with our mate. Some stories are romantic and others are rather strange. Let me give you an example of, of our marriage. <laughs> when when Diane and I first met, I was playing racquetball at the, at the racquetball club that she worked at. And I knew something was going on when she started following me around to different tournaments that I was playing in. 
she'd show up. Hey, hi, how's it going? Are you winning? Oh, yeah, I'm winning. Oh, good, good. And then, then my best friend and his girlfriend at the time uh, said, hey, why don't we, why don't we go to, to dinner after one of the tournament uh, nights? Why don't we go out to dinner and get some, some food? And Dinah just happened to be standing there. And they said, oh, and you can come with us too. Now, I knew something was going on, but I didn't mind it because she was very pretty and she gave me extra towels when I came into the racquetball club. So I was okay with this setup. I knew it was a setup. That's our rom- my romantic story of how we met. When a couple comes together, God wants to make that marriage something special before him. And desires to draw them closer together as they draw closer to God. If you're not married yet, it is important for you to make the same kind of covenant. If you have given your life to serving Jesus Christ, there will be difficulties if you marry someone who has given their life to something else. If you are in that situation now, God can do great things. But you should avoid knowingly choose to be in that place from the beginning. The the whole idea of marriage is closely connected to the idea of covenant. In Malachi 2.14, it says, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Marriage is a covenant between the husband and wife, between them and all family and witnesses, but most importantly, between them and God. When we understand marriage as a covenant, we have something to bind us together that is stronger than society's expectations, more constant than romantic love, and more certain than happy times. We have a covenant. Again, this was attributed to EnduringWord.com. So, number one, faithful to God when it comes to their romantic relationships. Number two, a second aspect of this, this covenant that they're signing their names to is faithful to God when it comes to doing business. Faithful to God when it comes to doing business. They would not do business on the Sabbath either to sell their own goods, because if they were selling their own goods, they were working, and they weren't supposed to be working on the Sabbath, or buy from foreigners. In the Ten Commandments, it says, in chapter 20 of Exodus, verses 8 through 11, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You, your sons, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your male female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, now the third, 
faithful to God when it comes to supporting God's work. Faithful to God when it comes to supporting God's work. And this is in, in verses 32 through 39. They abided on the laws to provide and support the temple via a yearly tax. They agreed to give as God had commanded them in the law. They agreed also to give as the special need required. Now, honoring God with their first fruits was a risky thing to do because what if the, their land didn't produce much or their livestock might not have given birth again? But God makes a promise in Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. He says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is a promise from God. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, and your barns will be filled, and your vats will be overflowing. I don't know why that word is there. Okay. Continuing on with the third aspect, they promised not to neglect the house of God. The last thing they said in verse 39 was this. We promise not to neglect the house of God. This covered anything that may have been missed. It meant that they were serious to follow God's laws and obey Him. They said, we're going to follow God's laws and we're going to especially make sure that we cover these aspects. And then the last thing they say is, we promise not to neglect the house of God, which is what they did the, the first time around when God said, all right, we, I have given you the land. I have, I have helped you to conquer your enemies, but now no more. You failed to follow my laws. You failed to obey me. Therefore, your enemies are going to conquer you and you're going to go into exile. And it was not fun. They did not like being in exile. And so when they came out of exile, which was a surprising thing, as we've read in previous chapters of, of uh, Nehemiah, it was an amazing thing that all of a sudden the king said, okay, we're going to let you go. You can go back to Jerusalem and build the temple of God. Wow, where did that come from? And so when they, when they were released, when they went out, they said, we've got to change the way we lived. We've got to remake a covenant with our God and obey His laws. We need, to, we need to do better. And so they signed their names to a covenant and they said, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Now, there's nothing wrong with the promises they signed their names to in this covenant. <clears throat> Excuse me. These are things that they identified as being wrong 
and part of their failure to God's law the first time around. So they wanted to show their desire to fix them and be more in line with their God. They wanted to do good because God had done good to them. They, they wanted to show their love for their God. But ultimately, they would fail, as we will see later on in Nehemiah. And like the people in Nehemiah, we too will fail if we don't change how we obey God's law. But wait a minute. If, if we remain dependent on ourselves to follow a law that we, that we cannot because of indwelling sin, then, then how can we succeed? How are we to succeed? What has to change? Well, let's talk about that. Point number two, a new covenant was made. Can you hand me my water? Thank you. Point number two, a new covenant was made. Hebrews 8, verses 6 through 8 says, say this. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's Hebrews 8, verses 6 through 8. We needed a covenant like the one that only Jesus, the Son of God, could fulfill. We needed a new covenant something bought and paid for with the precious blood of a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. A covenant that would not falter. A covenant that was not dependent on man who was unrighteous, but on the perfect lamb who was righteous. It is through this new covenant that we can enter the throne of grace and once again commune with our Creator. Now this is an explanation from gotquestions.org that explains what the New Covenant is. It says this, the New Covenant, or New Testament, is the promise that God makes with humanity that He will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward Him. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant and his death on the cross is the basis of that promise. Luke 22:20 20 says, "And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood." The new covenant was predicted while the old covenant was still in effect. The prophets, Moses, Jeremiah, 
and Ezekiel all allude to the new covenant. That was taken from gotquestions.org. But how is it that Christ became this perfect covenant for us? Well, we are told in Hebrews 7, 11 through 28, now if perfection had been attainable to the Levitical priesthood for under if the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessary a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Remember, it was the Levites. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning, concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the, the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented, prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. That's God's word. And since we have this perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ, there is no need for another. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 23. 
For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That's what Jesus was saying. Now we're back to the writer of Hebrews who picks up and says, When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them in the, on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any sin offering. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Who is it that, would, who is it that promised? It is God who said in Nehemiah 31, 31 through 34, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. <laughs> 
declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is the promise that God made to us in the new covenant. So through Christ, we were given new life and promised an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is where our hope lies. In the new covenant, secured for us by the, by the sacrifice offered up by Jesus Christ. A perfect sacrifice, accepted by God to die on a cross. Then on the third day, raised up to conquer death once and for all seated at the right hand of God to rule forever as high priest, advocating on our behalf for those who believe and confess him as Lord and Savior. A new covenant that replaces the old covenant, but which does not replace the law, but gives what the law could not provide, life everlasting. And this gift was given to us by a God who loves us so much that he gave his only son, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We have a sealed covenant to follow and obey. One that is secured with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A new covenant. The band can start to make their way up for the closing song. And let me close with, with this, these thoughts. <clears throat> In summary, we see that the people of Nehemiah had good intentions to please God by following his law and making an oath to it. But what will be revealed is that as sinful man, we cannot fully and perfectly follow his law on our own. We are incapable because of indwelling sin. So we needed help. We needed, we needed another way, a new covenant between man and God which was fulfilled through Jesus' work on the cross. 
His sacrifice and death appeased the holy God. And our relationship with Him is restored. Provided we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. We've learned this morning that we needed a new covenant. And Jesus is the catalyst for that new covenant. We need a restored relationship between God and man. And only through Jesus can we have that restored relationship. If you have not committed your life to this new covenant, then do so now. Don't wait. Not confessing your sin and repenting from your sinful life and acknowledging that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior will prove to be too disastrous. That decision will send you to a lake of fire and separation from God that will torment you forever and ever. Revelation 20, 15 says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. A few verses earlier, in verse 10, it says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I implore you to confess you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You cannot do this alone. You need Jesus Christ in your life today. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one <coughs> comes to the Father except through me. Don't delay. Make a change in your life today. Let's pray. Father God, change our hearts. Put in our hearts your word. More knowledge of yourself. Cause us a desire to read your word. To meditate on what you say to us through your word. Help us to understand it, Father that we may know you and your Son and the Holy Spirit better. Help us, Holy Spirit, to understand your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, of which without, we, will not, we would not be saved and we would not be restored to a holy God. And thank you, God, for sending your son to die on the cross, to make that perfect sacrifice that we should have life everlasting. Bless you, Father.
bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.